what we can't promise is that you're going to be rich you're going to be successful you're going to be famous what you can promise is that it's not going to be boring uh, and if that is the kind of mindset that you have uh, then this this space is awesome Hi Prashant how is it going Hello Raghu good good um have you recovered have you recovered from the bar mishaps that happened over the weekend with the premier league no i'm 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 um, holding on to my emotion until the last day of the season if we lose by two points i'm going to be uh, you know <laughs> bloody mad about this entire thing so uh, yeah oh god Anyway, we have a fun person uh, on the call. My co-founder uh, was an investor in uh, in the company that he built, uh, and the first time, his the way he describes Amitage is very very interesting. Uh, I'd ask him, dude, uh, tell me a little bit of, uh, about Amitage. He's like, I've only spoken to him five or six times, but every time that I met him, he became sharper and sharper and sharper and sharper to like being a really really smart dude uh, from the first time that he met you. uh which is our whole proof of progress thesis that we are trying to make <laughs> into web3 so uh without any further ado amitesh uh, welcome to the web3 normies you are now an honorary normie uh joining a <laughs> club of really fun people that we enjoy talking to thanks uh, raghu and uh, prashant for having me here uh always glad to speak with uh, fellow web3 builders and community and uh, yeah thanks for your uh, kind words <laughs> <laughs> no man that's that's literally what people were telling me right and uh, i can give you another example right like we were all uh, talking about uh, you know building an incubator back in uh, early 2021 and uh, someone i will not name her uh, from solana we were chatting and then we were like uh, uh, i think parin said something to the effect of oh yeah i i, I got a very small allocation in uh, in stater labs and then he was like everybody got a very small allocation in stater labs <laughs> <laughs> nobody got more than a certain amount it was it was a very very hard project and you know uh, i think this whole podcast i think the way prashant has designed it is that goes into staking lsds and i can already think the dudwala guys are going to have fun with that <laughs> with that word uh, but uh, uh and and also like i you know it's also to get to know you as a person uh i think uh, yeah. you're one of the few founders who's actually gone and survived and gone from strength to strength to strength since then so i want i'm very interested in that mindset uh prash is super interested not that i'm not but prash is more interested in the in the space and staking and and so on and i think this is going to be a fun conversation so prash over to you uh let's let's get in with the questions good stuff man um i just i just found out today that amitesh is also from i am calcutta so amitesh so am i 2007 i think you're oh, from 2000, you're from 2012 right 14. if i'm not mistaken 14 14 yeah 14 uh, is when i passed out of i am cal right okay and i uh, you know um, also your background has uh, swiggy right so uh, that's another interesting thing so maybe we can start off with like a quick intro about yourself um especially uh, i'm curious to understand your thesis from going from a place like swiggy to uh, building stater for sure so uh, yeah just to quickly talk about where i'm from and uh, how did i end up in this place 
So I'm originally from uh, a small town called Karnool in Andhra Pradesh. Uh, was born and brought up there. Uh, I mean, just joined the IIT IIT bandwagon. Went to IIT Madras, and then worked for about three years. And uh, yeah, did I am Cal. Post which I joined this consulting firm called AT Kani. Spent about three years there, and I mean, couldn't couldn't actually uh, get my kicker or satisfaction out of consulting. So moved to startup world. That's when uh, I joined Swiggy. A lot of core core team members at Swiggy were very close friends of mine from ITM or IM Cal. Uh, so that's so that that's how I ended up joining Swiggy. Uh, spent about three, two and a half, three years at Swiggy doing a bunch of things. Like I was uh, chief of staff to their CEO, Asha, and also spent uh, like spent a decent decent amount of time in one of the roles called like transform, like Swiggy transformation, and did a bunch of things there. Uh, so during the COVID time, I think roughly around twenty late twenty twenty to twenty twenty one, that's when I uh gotten deeper into the space i began my journey even earlier with uh investing in uh like the the blue chip cryptos including bitcoin and ethereum but uh, late 2020 is when i gotten serious into it seriously into it tried to understand the applications as well as uh, uh started getting deeper into the technology aspects as well and formulated my own thesis on why this space could be big like apart from all the hype around the prices and this thing going 10x and bitcoin hitting like uh, all all the pundits financial pundits uh, hypothesizing that bitcoin will hit probably like a million dollars i think recently kathy wood also said that it will probably hit million dollars by 2030 uh, but back then it was like by 2025 or 2026 bitcoin is going to hit like a million dollars why and you go buy uh, so i just wanted to get to the essence of what is all behind all of this uh and then by then thankfully the defi summer happened a lot of banking and also financial protocols uh were recent reasonably big including the likes of uniswap dydx was there aave was there so i literally simulated all of them like the workings of all of them on an excel and uh, my co-founder siddharth who was a pretty big uh like he was pretty deep into the tech stuff on uh, crypto he used to run his own uh mining rigs Back in those 2012, 2013 days itself, and he was pretty deep into the space. And both of us got together and we started simulating some of these protocols. And we're fascinated by wow, these are all the things that banks were doing, and why like all of this is happening on the chain in an automated way without any uh, without any intermediaries, etc. And uh, then we came up with a list of like 20, 30 odd ideas, right from stable coins for India. to nfts for ipl this was like back in those like 2020 early 2020s 2020s right so all of these but uh, we were quite fascinated with staking because uh, one of the fundamental layers of crypto was staking if this were if the industry were to scale proof of stake is the is like by, like by then proof of stake was proven to be one of the only credible ways to scale this entire networks so we wanted to Like we we wanted to do something in the space of staking, and as we saw, there were several uh, issues that the stakers like us were facing. They had to go understand which are these top validators, how much commission they're charging, what determines the risks, and what are the metrics they need to look at when selecting a validator, and all of these, right? So we just wanted to abstract out all of these and create 
a simplified uh, interface where users can come just like deposit their assets and the entire tech or the smart contracts underneath take care of all of these selecting the right validators increasing their returns and all of this so that's how that's how i came by uh, this staking and uh, like lst or liquid staking tokens it's damn yeah, cool that's great right. i i, I have a question i have a question uh, you know uh, most people look at staking as this financial thing that i can earn some uh, reward and for the large part i think uh, for retail it is marketed as that uh, do you also find people who use staking services with the mindset that hey i can actually contribute to consensus on a proof of stake network uh, and that uh, I, i can actually have, you know somehow have an ownership stake of such uh, i was interviewing a candidate today and they said the same thing that oh you know web3 is about ownership so as like so do you really own the network if you buy some ether uh, and then that's when you know you kind of dove into that and it struck me as to why uh, are is that behavior even even there and is that something that you have seen in users of stada i think so yes definitely uh, i think a lot of people in this space are quite excited about participating in governance putting up proposals voting and then sort of navigating navigating the proposal or the voting in the direction which benefits them mm. you don't see this act you don't see this happen very actively in the case of web2 right where i own a share i i own let's say for example infos a share i have voting rights but i don't actively go and canvass that hey like like let's just make sure that this, this is passed or that is passed right but in mm. web3 it's quite Uh, or maybe i am not aware of what happens in web2 space because i am a passive investor in this right in web3 space that's actually there are these individuals and community members who actively work towards building proposals and also navigating those proposals to a certain outcome that benefits them or benefits the overall network as per their perception yeah man like uh, so many times you know when the token is boiled down to its usd price uh especially in say in the case of bitcoin right uh, thinking about the fact that hey this is an entirely new monetary system that you are getting to participate in like it's so uh it it it, it is obvious but at the same time not not very apparent uh, in the early days and i feel like you know for especially for proof of stake chains the work that you do perhaps a lot of lot more education there on saying hey this is just more than an apy thing right and and that ethos i really feel you who are the custodian of that of that mindset and you can really push that through you know yeah and also you know yeah. um staking is like kind of two types of staking right one is like uh, an app who who's you know a network you we all a part of the it's network as the tokens right you just take it for the sake of staking and then you get more more of those tokens over a period of time right there is no real utility for that token as such Uh, mm. but the staking we are talking about here is uh, the staking to uh, you know keep uh, you know um, to um, protect and uh, take the network forward which are more proof of stake networks like your uh, ethereum binance polygon um, avalanche etc right so so these are the ones that we are talking about specifically here um, and and again i'm just kind of doing this bifurcation for our listeners our listeners as well so that you know you know like uh, when we get deeper into liquid staking what exactly it gets into right so um, yeah i mean i think i think that's an important uh, distinction to uh, uh, create yeah. because the staking we are talking about here is um, important for proof of stake uh, consensus mechanisms uh, to work in the way that they are designed to <laughs> yeah yeah see i think uh, we should also be a little more pragmatic here right i mean the, sure you will find 
probably like of basket of individuals who are very keen on just staking their tokens for any for no returns i mean it will work it will and but if you have to uh, secure the network fully because that is when it really matters right if there is no network security then there is no economic activity on the chain yes but if you if you have to secure the network fully then there has to be incentives and disincentives that's yeah. the only way and then obviously speculation and yields are a by product of it you, could, you cannot yeah. do away with it correct um i think i think we can take a quick segue now into like you know um, the liquid staking side as well so now that i've kind of created um, um explained briefly about staking and proof of stake networks uh, amitesh if you could you know quickly explain um, in mostly layman terms right what liquid staking is um, what stader does and you know how is it uh, fairly differentiated from its competitors right i think that will be a good segue to get into the core of the discussion and what does it have to yeah. do with drugs sorry <laughs> lsd <laughs> so that's why the industry is moving away from the acronym lsd to lst yeah. <laughs> okay. to what to what lst t okay yeah because yeah. taking tokens to eliminate the reference to some of the substances fair enough uh, yeah so without getting in without getting too much technical uh, in very very simple terms when users stake their tokens to a validator staking is nothing but pledging their tokens to a validator validator is somebody who validators are somebody who are distributed players they actually participate in attesting or validating the networks which means they actually certify that these transactions are valid and the blockchain can sort of uh, progress further right so that's if you if you if you take that as a given then anybody can actually pledge these tokens to the validator and validators use that as a security to secure the network now when when i am when i as a user is pledging my, or i am i am pledging these tokens to the validator my tokens are locked with the validator if i have to actually remove those tokens and probably sell them or use them somewhere i cannot do it i have to wait for the a period called unbonding period it varies from blockchain to blockchain i have to wait for that unbonding period before i can withdraw those tokens onto my wallet that are freely usable right and this unbonding period can vary from about 3 days on polygon solana to about 21 days on uh, cosmos blockchains right so and during this unbonding period i don't earn my staking rewards as well so while in a so there are two types of staking one is plain staking where you just pledge simply the tokens to validator and your tokens earn staking rewards the second type of staking is liquid staking where you pledge the tokens or you deposit your tokens on a in a smart contract like stader smart contracts across these different chains or there are several other liquid staking players who actually have smart contracts on multiple chains so you pledge your tokens or deposit your tokens onto this smart contract you get something called a liquid stake token so our liquid staking token on uh, matic is called matic x bnb is called bnbx phantom is called sftmx etc now this liquid stake token uh, it has several advantages over simply just staking the tokens with a validator one like we create secondary markets on top of this liquid stake token where you can just go and then swap that token for the native token or stable coins etc so that you can immediately get out of that position why would a user do it he does it because he gets staking rewards and also has these benefits now the additional benefit of this is 
basically while this liquid stake token is earning your staking rewards it can also be collateralized and users can take a loan either in usd or in the native token i mean stable coins or in the native tokens and then he can keep repeating that loop take multiple long or short positions based on his uh, appetite right so it helps him in like amplifying the yield so for example if he is getting like 5% yields on in, in staking rewards by taking all of these positions he can amplify he has the opportunity to amplify his yields at the same time exit during like volatile market conditions so that's the advantage of liquid staking and that's why a lot of people actually use liquid staking how are um, the sorry just to follow up no, no. how is the market for a staked asset made sustainable because essentially you know if, uh, if you could kind of talk us through the loop uh, as to you know it, it almost sounds like creating new money right but uh, if like for the pragmatic mind right like what is what is going on here and how is the market for a staked staked asset reconciled with what was initially deposited uh when you say market for a staked asset you are not referring to like liquid staked asset right you are referring to a general token like a sol or matic how is the market for that asset or how are the rewards coming for that asset is that what yeah yes yeah, so that that is one part of it that obviously is the staking reward the other part is the matic x itself that i'm actually able to perform more uh, financial activities with that right like for the uh, for the uh, convenience of the audience right like what is that uh you know how how does this work rather is is the question that uh, uh, uh that some some people in the audience would want to know sure understand so typically let me try and answer the first question which is like mm. how are staking rewards coming out for these l1 tokens like matic or sol etc mm. so it's a combination of two things one is there is inflation that the network sets so like they say that uh, when the l1 token is designed they would have uh, in their tokenomics they would have stated that probably 5% or 6% of the network will be actually inflated to subsidize the staking rewards yes the second source of these is basic typically the transaction fees or the execution layer fees in case of ethereum like mev tips etc so these two factors actually contribute to the staking rewards now the yeah. hypothesis is over a period of time the inflation goes down to zero and the network is self sustainable in terms of its own transaction fees yes right. so that's how this entire l1 token economy is created mm. now for a for a liquid staking token uh, so it's it's simple right the liquid stake token is backed by the l1 token that is there on our smart contract which is staked right. with the validator right. so we're not creating anything out of thin air yeah, yeah i was, it's, not I was it's, like it's one to it's one to one right pretty it's much one, um, yeah uh, the key risk yeah. however is the status smart contract technically in this case right yeah um, again the one to one doesn't go away but then whoever hacks through that smart contract gets the say eat in or matic right that is the actual one that is in possession so the matic x or eth x is pretty much you know without any backing at that point yeah uh, and that I, I was hoping you would say that the the, the peg uh, essentially right like and and in some of these liquids uh, in the, some of these staked assets sometimes there was this part that you know that uh, for example stake teeth uh, losing peg uh, some time ago yeah uh, what what's going on here and if you could kind of talk a little bit more about those dynamics that would be that would yeah, enlighten the audience sure sure for sure see i think the peg is uh, 
the peg is very different across different blockchains yeah uh, eth is a separate thing because on eth the withdrawals are not enabled hmm. uh, i think the shanghai upgrade that is going live in a month or two is when users can actually unstake their eth yes till now the eth that was staked on either like directly with the validators or on the liquid staking platforms that cannot be unstaked hmm. what that means is Uh, obviously these guys have created the protocols have created their own secondary market liquidity for stake teeth so that is where the token is primarily traded so the peg there is determined by the supply and demand for the stake teeth uh, liquid stake tokens so the peg is actually not a depegging event it's the discount that the market is applying on uh, the stake teeth liquid staking contract till withdrawals are enabled correct so that's that's lovely right like now, now the whole point of all of this was to try and break down uh, what a staked asset is or what a stake a derivative stake token is uh, what sta- where does staking accrue value itself and how can liquidity on the tokens that you have staked enable you to continue to speculate uh, or continue to utilize it uh, for uh, you know say thing you know, passing proposals on our way participating in governance taking out a loan uh, all of those things are now possible without you having to compromise the number of assets that i have staked uh, to a particular uh, to a uh, to a particular chain which uh, i hope the audience understands how useful that is right mm. uh, that uh, solutions like this exist that allow you to participate in network uh, uh, in network consensus without having to lock away your assets uh, entirely so just to elucidate that point i know i pushed a little bit on the new money sort of thing but uh, just you know because these are sort of questions that you get asked you know is like oh yeah. this is so that is also money this is also money how am i using it like this so thank you for explaining that and i think liquid staking is a lot clearer for our listeners right now yeah so yeah, i just want to add one more thing yeah. where this is a new networks like matic or solana or there might be any of the cosmos chains you won't hear a dpeg event unless and until this is a scenario of a hack yes. because uh here there is there is arbitrage opportunities that are possible like for mm. example on our matic smart contract matic x versus matic there is always an exchange rate that are smart mm. contract guarantees mm. so when when the matic x is trading at a discount on the on the secondary market users can actually buy matic x on the secondary market and come and unstake with us so making an arbitrage like risk free arbitrage mm-hmm. on that no that's uh, interesting that's awesome. yeah and and that's because you know um, again the role of eth here has to be i think explained to a greater extent because um, eth was originally a proof of work consensus mechanism it moved to proof of stake which is when all of this started getting you know uh, becoming a reality or possibility and towards end of 2020 is when beacon chain was launched uh, when you know uh, people could actually i think deposit their uh, eth into uh, contracts and start receiving staked rewards however what was not sure at this at that point was that when would the uh, um, you know move to proof of stake uh, happen exactly and then also on the back of it when would the withdrawals be uh, enabled from these contracts mm-hmm. right so which is what created this period of uncertainty from end of 2020 um and now as we are here at this point in uh, feb 2023 now we know that the shanghai upgrade is going to happen within the next couple of months hopefully 
which will then enable the withdrawals. And from that point on, I think there should never, like, not never, but then there should ideally not be a DeFi event uh, for, for, you know, um, staked ETH assets either, um, you know, because because the, it then becomes very much like a Matic, etc. And that uncertainty uh, has pretty much evaporated now from the system, right? Um, yeah, so, so just adding on to that, Amitit, so, you know, um, how much how much like this entire like staked assets uh, sorry staked pos assets uh, and lst etc right um, if you look at the tvls it looks and almost entirely like an eth phenomenon right uh, it's like 12 billion etc of eth and like all the other pos chains together is under a billion right so uh, like um, how do you guys think about this at stader and uh, i i know eth has been a very recent phenomenon for you guys um, in terms of expansion but you know um, what chains are you guys fo uh, uh, focusing at and like how do you kind of think this entire tvl under various pos chains expands over a period of time yeah so obviously, ETH is very critical for us. I'll come to our differentiated value proposition and the product and architecture that we're building there. Uh, beyond ETH, some of the most important chains for us are obviously we have Matic, BNB, Hedera. We also have Phantom that is uh, uh, that's that's critical to us. And we, on some of these blockchains, we're pretty much the only protocol that has meaningful DeFi and uh, adoption there. Mm. No, interesting. Just on on that point also, I've heard you say this in other podcasts where uh, you you kind of fifth saying that Rust based chains were easier to build on because they were you know monolithic architecture uh, and uh, you know the DeFi and the validation essentially happens on the same uh, same chain. But in the case of say other and many EVM chains for for that matter, DeFi happens on one layer, the validation happens on another layer uh has has yeah. it that changed over time uh or is it pretty oh, much the same thing it's <laughs> the same thing right ETH, ETH has beacon chain and then uh your smart contracts are on some other chain similarly mm -hmm. similar case with bnb they have uh they have the bnb chain which is the original chain then you have the binance smart chain which is a different chain similarly matic where the validation happens on the on ETH where the validators are all on ETH and the actual delegation happens on ETH, but then Matic has a separate uh, chain where smart contracts are located. So there's always like a bridge or some other mechanism that is required to like shuttle these tokens back and forth. Just for my understanding, how big is your engineering team and how do you hire all these chain specialist people for, for each of these products that you're building? <laughs> Uh, so it's it's reasonably big for a crypto protocol. We have about 20, 22 member engineering team. Hmm. And has finding them been easy over time? Because I know you were, at least when you were starting out, the smart contract Janta, let alone on ETH, yeah. wasn't big enough uh, in India. And yeah. I'm curious to know how you scaled that up. I think what worked very well for us is like hiring smart people from Web2 or Web3 and mm. giving them the independence of freedom to explore right. that really helps and even today majority of the smart contract engineers that we have are from web and they have joined stater and picked up smart contract development what's the learning curve been usually for somebody entering web2 understanding web3 and then picking up working on it uh, you know regularly uh, it's about a month or two wow nice Okay, that's that's interesting. That's interesting because usually all our founders are like over oh, two people take at least three to four months 
worst case six months sometime uh, but i think the distinction here is hire smart people and then they'll figure it out in a month yeah yeah i think i mean we also had some we also had like both of our co-founders are in-house experts in smart contract development they can handhold and sort of accelerate this learning journey right Thanks. nice um yeah go anything else should i continue yeah, yeah i think you had a you had a business question to ask i think you should ask him that uh on uh, did i think no, tv uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah no, no, no. So, no, no, yeah. i'm curious right so um eat also if you look at it i would say like in total across like um liquid staking or like even self staking right i guess um i don't maybe 15% of eth is take is that number similar for like other pos chains as well and um do we see that high proportion of eth being staked only because of the dollar value of like market cap eth being so much higher or even the percentage is higher for eth uh so the no even the percentage is quite high for eth because on eth the only way to stake for a long period of time the only way to stake smaller amount of tokens was either on exchanges or on uh liquid staking protocols like lido or rocket pool yeah there was no way to stake eth itself like otherwise you'll have to run your own node deposit 32 eth and start that right mm-hmm. so on eth the, the magnitude of the problems were very different there was problem of liquidity because eth uh, there was no withdrawals enabled or unstaking enabled second there were several problems around like even staking eth right mm-hmm. like with one eth or probably 10 eth i can't go and start running a node myself and there was no way to actually find these validators to stake other than like centralized exchanges right so that's why and eth was also like one of the earliest one of the first blockchains right so yeah. the percentage of eth that is staked via liquid staking is also quite high but on the other blockchains some of these like were developed at a much later stage and they had they had the learnings from the proof of stake evolution so they had all of these already baked into some of these uh, some of their architecture so for example on matic you could stake any amount of matic mm. uh, similarly on cosmos chains you could stake like even minuscule amount of uh, their native right. asset and people were able to earn staking rewards so that's all if you see the pers- and liquid staking is also new phenomenon on these chains yeah so okay so so native self staking itself was like so you know so much more easier on this other chain that people prefer doing it directly than it so so then that's interesting right so then i guess um, for your growth as well as you rightly pointed out eth is uh, super important to kind of uh, focus on right now if you look at eth itself um, they have lido rocket pool and coinbase right like pretty much in the front three right um, uh, how are you guys thinking of like you know um, going up against these guys and like expanding your own uh, percentage of the eth network yeah sure so if you like just quickly giving an overview of the eth liquid staking landscape there are some centralized players like coinbase or binance who have their own liquid staking token then there is uh, there are these decentralized uh, players which are basic primarily don't take custody of the assets have smart contracts uh, etc so these are the likes of lido rocket pool you also have smaller players like stakewise uh, ankr etc uh so the problem i mean let me actually talk about how each of these players is and then from our perspective what are the key gaps in the ecosystem so on one spectrum you have these centralized players a lot of i mean they primarily get their audience from their own distribution like for example people who are uh, who are users of coinbase app or coinbase exchange they are the primary ones who are 
selecting CBE as the liquid stake token. The disadvantage of it is one, it is centralized. Two, they charge about 25% commission on the staking rewards. There's probably no access to MEV and all the execution layer rewards. And it is highly susceptible to any kind of censorship from the government. So that right. is the problem with the centralized player. On top of that, they don't have like a fully developed DeFi ecosystem. So what are the things that one can do with CBE to get like additional rewards in the tokens, etc.? There's very limited uh, avenues there. Now come to the decentralized uh, player, which is Lido and Rocky. So they have done a phenomenal job at one, growing the DeFi ecosystem and also uh, nurturing this entire uh, liquid stake ecosystems. Uh, however, from our perspective, Lido is still like operates in a very centralized way. Their DAO controls, which are the validators who get into those. No way, no way for permissionless node operators to join the validators uh, and start running the node operators as of today. However, they charge reasonably high, uh, competitive commission and also have a well-developed DeFi system. On the other hand, you have Rocket Pool. They charge high commission, which is almost 50% higher than Lido, 15% commissions. Uh, and they don't have a well-grown or fully-grown DeFi ecosystem, very limited DeFi opportunities. Uh, and the third thing is, third advantage of Rocket Pool is that they have they are the only platform probably where which allows permissionlessly node operators joining a liquid stake token, so which is a great thing. Right? However, there are these disadvantages: the high commission, which is like fifty percent higher than the competitive commission that Lido charges. No token value accrual. They as a protocol they don't charge any fees, and then uh, and the commissions are at the Back in call of these uh, node operators, where some node operators charge about 18% commissions, etc. Okay. And on the node operator side, even though uh, Rocket Pool allows any node operator to permissionlessly join their network, there are significant capital entry barriers for node operators. Today, they only let node operators join their network if they stake 16 ETH worth of 16 ETH to begin a node, and on top of that. 1.6 ETH worth of RPL tokens to be created. So for a typical node operator, that's a significantly high barrier to entry because not only they are taking a large exposure to ETH, which is 16 ETH, they are also taking a significant amount of exposure to rocket pool tokens. Yeah. Right. So Lido, no permissionless way to join nodes. Rocket pool permissionless way exists, but there are significant disadvantages. So now, like basically the question that we asked ourselves is, hey, how can we build a decentralized liquid staking protocol that uh, that can scale indefinitely, which means we'll have to bring down the capital entry barriers to as close to zero as possible. And at the same time, have, uh, have, have a competitive commission and then fully grown DeFi ecosystem. So that's where our ETHX architecture was born. Where we are, where we are developing a multi-pool architecture. Uh, any node operator can permissionlessly join uh, in a permissionless pool by just bonding four ETH. Because our analysis indicates that very clearly, four ETH is a sufficient enough bonding requirement to solve for all types of slashing and penalties. Right now, there is like in phase two, we'll probably also create some liquid markets around this bond so that. The risk can be exchanged across ETH holders and validators. Yeah, that's the permissionless pool architecture. We also have a permission pool. In case the permissionless pool 
of node operators is not scaling the supply significantly. We also have a permission pool where this user's stake teeth can be staked with them because this permission pool will have reputed node operators. Uh, and obviously, they have their uh, reputation under uh, risk. So they don't indulge in any malicious activity or ensure that the, they perform very well. So we have this multi-pool architecture where permissionless nodes obviously can start participating in the network and take users' funds and validate. We also have a permission pool. And then now we can extend these number of pools to multiple types of pools or anybody can build or build a new pool on top of this. Uh, so what that means is today we are talking about a new technology called distributed validator technology, where uh, uh, it's a, it has a significant advantage over running validators on their own. Now we can just simply add that this DBT pools to our uh, multiple architecture. And in the future, there can be like multiple other types of technology that can be developed. And all of this becomes like very modular and extensible for us. You know, that's that super interesting. Um, differentiation. Got it. I, I mean, technically, you're taking the best of both worlds and kind of, you know, creating something that, and, and with like a much lower uh, threshold of entry as well with Pori. Will there be bonding of like stated tokens also needed? Um, okay. Yes. Um, so we we will have a small amount of bonding of stated tokens uh, that can be used for like in case, in the worst case, if, if things go awry and uh, the Pori bond is not sufficient, then stated tokens will be used as further insurance. So we're thinking of starting somewhere in the ballpark range of 0.4, 0 0.5 to begin with. Okay. And so based on node operators, they can take about 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's still like 75% better than um, RPL in its current uh, state, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and another important thing here, right? Now, if you look at stake, uh, Lido's stake date product, there is significant liquidity for that product itself through pools of curve, etc., right? Um, it, that, that also needs to be bridged, right? Because the liquidity is needed for people to kind of get in and out. like. Uh, do you guys, um, is that an organic thing that happens or do you guys have to like speak to, you know, um, Curve or like other uh, entities to kind of en enable that? So all of these can be done permissionlessly. Like creating a pool on yeah. Curve or Balancer is a permissionless way. Obviously, we need to interact with the teams to enable voting, engaging, etc. Uh, but that's not a barrier at all. Like we have We have experience working with all of these teams across other chains. So that's not a barrier. The big barrier is basically incentivizing users to come and deposit Correct. their liquidity. Yeah, that is the that is the primary thing that we have to enable. Yeah, just out of curiosity, right? Like I think it's the growth path for Stader, right? Uh, and in the case of say Coinbase or say other uh, larger protocols, it, it almost boils down to whether an institution can trust you uh, with the security of the contracts to be able to put their assets uh, on your chain. Is that what, you know, say Stader also wants to get to, uh, or is that a different region? Uh, so I think there is a, there is large enough retail market today for us to bootstrap the liquidity and TVL. Because mm. if you think about it today, ETH is probably about a 150, $160 billion yeah, asset yeah. and only 25, 26 billion of ETH is stake compared to other chains where you have almost 50% of the network tokens being staked. So there is a yes. significant amount of room to grow even with the retail. And obviously yes. the holy grail are the institutions and them staking with us, right? I mean, there are, within institutions, there are several layers, right? There are small institutions, medium and large institutions. 
so yeah the adoption is also in that way in their order and i think with shanghai yeah. i think uh, the percentage will naturally increase in my opinion of people who will end up staking right so that 16 15% whatever they'll probably go up much higher um how are you guys in fees and like uh, you know um what is the other uh, parameter here like the commission rate uh, etc that you guys charge versus and and the yield that someone can generate through uh, ethex on you guys yeah so the commission that we'll charge will be 10% Uh, okay. Very competitive to the other protocol called Lido, and uh, yeah, which means basically our uh, staking rewards will be a will be one of the best in class. Right. Staking rewards plus MEV plus all the other. Yeah. Types. Yeah. And and when is Ethex going live? Uh, so contracts are going to audit probably in a week from now, week to like week to week, ten days from now, and. depending on the audit timelines as of now we are planning a cap launch by mid of march and then like a full full launch probably early like end march to early april got it nice wonderful it's quite imminent yeah nice so eat soon uh, on stage yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh look abhitej i think uh, one of the things that all our thoughts went to when the terra uh when the anchor situation happened and then thereby uh, the luna thing happened uh, was you uh, i think uh, at one point it was billions of dollars uh, a billion dollars in tvl and tens of thousands of users uh, and you know for all intents and purposes terra was actually a very vibrant uh, community uh, and you know that as a failed experiment uh, resulted in a lot of pain but you have recovered from you know kind of coming down to say 10 million dollars in tvl to now i think 180 uh yeah. million or something in tv what worked after terra uh, and how did you how did you rally the team around i know that i think you were a lot more aggressive on how many chains that uh, you know you would work with and uh, some of them have been apparent but more about you know say the human side uh, how do you keep the team motivated how do you keep uh, your users to continue to trust you uh and uh, you know from from that down to now an uh, ascendancy of sorts uh what worked after terra yeah so obviously un- it's very unfortunate uh, terra lots of people lost their life savings uh and even we were we lost a good amount of our treasury as we mm-hmm. were depositing it on anchor uh thankfully we were diversified across several other stable coins so we like we still have about we still have about 6 7 years of runway left that mm-hmm. lets us uh, continue to build uh unfortunately and it's really unfortunate for us as well as for the whole terra ecosystem because it was one of the most vibrant ecosystems that i have seen across the globe mm-hmm. the amount of uh, risks that people were willing to take and the different types of solutions that were being built on terra is just is orders of magnitude different from any of the other chains that uh, we are live on today uh it was it was very hard for us as a team as well because a uh, uh, lot of them have looked at the growth that we had on terra and joined the team assuming that it's only going to go uphill from now <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately for all of these newer industries that's never the case right there's always ups right. and downs and periods of uh, instability across the business as well as the team uh, mm. i think it was i i'll be honest and and i will be honest it is it is probably one of the first experiences of such sorts for me as well it took me uh, a few weeks if not a month or two to sort of recover completely from the 
Terra's collapse, and I'm sure a lot of other team members took longer time to come back to reality. Uh, but I think we've we've remained largely unscathed. Didn't lose any of the major, uh, like at least the leadership or the key team members, both on mm. the tech as well as non-tech side, because of Terra per se. Uh, mm. But I think what it also helped us is uh, just keep our ears to the ground, de-risk ourselves by accelerating our development across multiple chains, and always be prepared for such eventualities on any other blockchain, which means we need to actually be able to assess the risks in this ecosystem a lot more than anyone else, like a lot more than the users. That means we need to find a way to protect our treasury uh, mm. and also ensure that we continue to build for several years uh, that are here to come, right? Uh, yeah, so those are the major learnings. So, was there any other? Question? Yeah, the the question was, how did you cope, and uh, how did you, uh, you know, recover and go go from strength to strength after that? Yeah, I think, <laughs> like I mentioned, it was hard, but it's it's the reality, right? Like your TVL and Terra, erstwhile Terra ecosystem is not coming back, so it's it's the reality, and you just have to accept that it's a reality and move on from there. And uh, and once you once once the reality is clear to you, the next reality is like how do you go from there? Right. That's when we asked ourselves very quickly, and started working on the other blockchains and got to the basics and started growing grounds up. Yeah, man. Kudos to that founder spirit. You know, like this sort of experiences will break so many people, but for you to stick around and then turn a corner is is very inspiring. It'll be one of the stories. That is told about Indian crypto for many, many years, about how you, you know, went through what you did, but didn't stop there and turned around and really built something of you. So I'm like, uh, generally, industry is proud of you for doing that. Thanks, thanks, Raghu. And uh, we're not we're not alone in this space, right? There were several protocols that were affected yes. by this. End. A lot of founders actually, yeah, they they a lot of founders that i know are pretty successful even despite the terror collapse yeah 100% and then they are on the normies podcast we will tell the same thing to them like, now you are here so you know we'll, we'll express no, that also raghu um, i think you know what another uh, good thing that stated team did was uh, diversifying the treasury right um, yes. Uh, that I think was very important because as you kind of get out of this emotional shock, etc. If you have a treasury, then you know, okay, you know what's gone is gone. Let's continue building, right? And that was very helpful. Um, we have another portfolio company as well, which also went to this Terra thing. Thankful they had good treasury, so they could pivot and go on to another chain to start building, right? But we also know projects which didn't do that. Uh, mostly took a lot of it and put it into anchor, right? Uh, highly responsibly, right? And then that's gone overnight. Everything, right? So that I think is smart risk management as well. I mean, irresponsible is, is is something that you know in hindsight. Uh, but now mm. I feel like a lot more I mean, people are the way Anchor and Terra were growing. It was, I mean, it, it, the probability of such event happening was something that, like, I mean, very few people could fathom, right? Uh, yeah. The the billions of dollars in UST and the expansion that it was going through. It was hard for anybody to imagine it just come crashing down. Within a matter of a day or two. Yeah, I think I to me, um, 
coming crashing down was not as big a surprise as much as how quickly it happened right because for something like an algo stable coin the real uh, point of uh, you know contention is when it goes through like a defect right and uh, when there is stress in the system right and that's exactly what it could not withstand going up in like a bull market increasing tvl etc made you know made it uh, so uh, made it like everyone's darling but the real point of uh, truth was at this point which is when i say irresponsible you know i mean it's very easy to say that in retrospect but um, treasury is supposed to be in like assets which do not have like uh, you know non zero chance of collapsing and going away right so the which is because you want to build right so that's where i am yeah. coming from with my vc hat as well so uh, <laughs> so i think that was fair play yeah, yeah. anyone who survived this cycle will have that etched in their memory <laughs> this Absolutely. can happen <laughs> we we started asking this question ourselves even early on but obviously the anchor's 20% return was like too too hard to ignore nice. uh, the question that we were always asking is like hey will will like a 10% yield make or break us as a company the answer to that question was always no correct i would rather save the capital that we had raised and ensure that the operating runway is intact then take risk with that capital yep right oh, well said well said i think that should be quoted put on a plank in every founder's office yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome stuff man like uh, some uh, i think we ask this question to everyone who join uh, who joins our podcast is that uh, you know uh, what are your india plans uh, for stater Uh, i think there is a interesting market here i wouldn't say a large one yet but quite an interesting one so uh, are there any india specific plans that stater has uh i think so as a platform we have been like geography agnostic we have been permissionless yeah. platform right from day one so there are quite a few users from india who actually uh who actually use our network across matic matic bnb and phantom as well mm-hmm. so uh and we are we are realizing that there are a lot more users than we are currently tapping into so mm-hmm. we are starting like a community specifically for india like both across telegram and discord to like assist them and also onboard some of these indian crypto holders actively onto our uh, onto our networks so it's it's definitely as one of the important priorities for us over the next one or two months right nice nice interesting to know uh, we are doing some community stuff as well in the chat uh but trash uh parting parting thoughts man like uh, i think uh, one prob- one area that we probably didn't touch on was concepts of restaking which is trash's pet uh, obsession uh, i would say it's, it's a, uh, uh, okay you can say that you know uh, it's kind of like you i bought, just want to wait. squeeze that in the, the reason i say that is you bought it up in every podcast that we have done till now <laughs> so <laughs> so So I think you should chat yeah, about I mean, it. Uh, yeah, you can't get away from that. And also, I wanted to ask about like app chains. What if they go like they have consensus of proof of stake? You know, blah blah blah. I mean, it's just how I function. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, any parting thoughts on like restaking? Like since Raghu brought it up, I am compelled to ask now. I didn't ask it because of time. But uh, do you think that kind of like has any uh, complementary effect to how uh, LST uh, expands from here on? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, uh, we. like basically rather than restaking i would say i am more bullish in terms of using lsds for restaking yeah because that that enables us a lot of things one it enables users to choose which networks they want to stake or put their tokens to use on mm. uh at the same time 
it just becomes very very composable right it probably doesn't need like a fundamental architectural level changes in the network that's yeah. where i think lsds have a critical role to play in fact they have a role in fact there is a protocol called alliance on cosmos that is being built uh, where like you can actually use let's say for example terra 2.0's uh, luna luna x or any of the liquid stake token there to actually provide security on a newer chain yeah right similarly similarly even on matic supernets like one can like if if, if like we we are basically talking to the matic foundation to figure out how can we leverage matic x as a security on uh, supernets because users don't need to forego the original matic chain staking rewards while also having the opportunity to uh, restake that matic x on any of the supernets chain to get that specific supernets uh, rewards Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of like uh, something I'm keeping a co- close eye on as well in terms of how it um you know expands and how it helps rest of the features within the ecosystem also expand especially when it comes to proof of stake. Um good man Amitesh this was great you know um from my perspective thanks for um, joining us you know uh, I I just you know thought I should bring you on because liquid staking is a, a raging theme. you guys are building this this is like a, uh, an indian team so it all just made a lot, a lot of sense for you to have come on to web3 normies um and the thanks a lot for your time before i hand it over to you just one small anecdote i wanted to mention because we spoke about swiggy and harsha so harsha was with me in london for a year okay and he was he was always very restless oh. when he was at nomura okay and um he would just ask me you know i just want to go back i want to do something like a startup because this doesn't excite me um and i was like dude i mean you should go you should do it right um once he left london and came back to india though i just completely lost touch with him uh maybe i should have kept in touch because harsha basically raghu you know right he's the ceo of uh, yeah, swiggy yeah, right yeah. so uh, yeah but we had like a brief overlap in london and i'm uh, yeah he just did a phenomenal job uh, coming back and doing what he did but uh, yeah i just wanted to put that in there but over to you amitesh any parting thoughts you may have um in terms of how this was and uh, yeah over to you uh i think uh, thanks for mentioning about asha he is always he has always been a source of inspiration for me and uh, he will continue to be uh so parting thoughts on uh, on stader i think the journey i just want to probably this is more relevant to any of the founders who are starting up in the space or uh, people who have already started up in the space i think think long and hard before <laughs> joining a young industry like crypto it's the while the ride will be enriching and rewarding i don't know about the rewards but the ride will surely be enriching <laughs> both professionally and personally uh but the ups and downs are going to be uh definitely as uh, painful as as the enrichment aspect of it is going to be so unless like basically one needs to be clear about spending like several years in the space before starting up it's definitely not for i mean yeah i i'm i don't think this is like a get rich quickly kind of an industry or like yeah. all the token riches that you see i don't think i don't think one should get into this space just for yeah. the sake of it dude so well said man like uh, this Fair is point. what we tell literally everyone who wants to join a web3 company like are you sure are you absolutely sure because you have no idea what you are getting yourself into and what we can promise is what we can't promise is that you're going to be rich you're going to be successful you're going to be famous 
what you can promise is that it's not going to be boring uh, and if that is the kind of mindset that you have uh, then, then this this space is awesome it was amazing no, having yeah. you yep no no just finish it finish it uh, we are shooting over time i'm uh, oh. just being kind with us you know uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well with that uh, with that it will not be boring and certainly not a boring story so far uh, that uh, is the story with every podcast that we do thank you so much for taking the time out for us i know it's a little early for you there uh, but uh, it, it's been a pleasure hosting you here and we should see you soon someday likewise likewise prashant uh, ragu thanks for having me here it was great chatting with you guys